0: Welcome to Rex Sykes. Movie.
1: Radio.
0: I always forget there's a blog talk radio in there. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat conversations with filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. And we'll talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And I'll provide you with the guests and the information you're going to want to have. Whether you're a filmmaker or a fan, and so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. My guest tonight is returning. It is director, producer, writer Michael Pfeiffer. Uh, this is going to be a, a part two, but it's a complete standalone show in its own regard. But Michael was on recently, and we talked uh, about everything you can imagine under the sun in terms of, of course, there's so much more, but we talked about directing and producing and working with actors and camera and blocking and, you know, a host of everything. I want you, if you haven't listened to that show, go and listen to it after you listen to this one. And, and when you do, you'll have two important shows about making movies, making TV and about getting it done, getting it, you know, and getting it out there to an audience. So I'm going to bring Michael on right now and uh, and we're going to have a, another great discussion about making movies happen for real. All right, Michael, are you there?
2: I'm here, Rex. Thanks for having me. Hi. Hi, uh,
0: it's good to have you back. Um, I hope uh, I hope everything is going well with you.
2: Uh, well, everything's going uh, as as good as can be for me and everybody else right now. Uh, you know, maybe people listen to this and. A year or two or 20 years down the line, and uh, this is an interesting time in history with uh, new, new terminology like installation, quarantine, COVID-19, all these new terminologies. But I'm hoping to get a lot of work done while we're, uh, while we're uh, hunkered down and uh, be prepared to pump out movies uh, when we can get back to work.
0: Uh, and and speaking of pumping up movies, you're you're responsible for over two hundred movies in your career, uh, which is just no, a, no, a no, phenomenal. No,
2: no, over over a hundred, not two hundred. <laughs> that's that's my buddy Fred Olin Ray. <laughs> uh, well, your Fred buddy, is dude. yeah, Fred is
0: Fred is great. Prolific. So, a hundred and sixty of those you've directed, forty you've written, and 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 produced. How do how Tell do you break I it up?
2: Uh, well, I've directed sixty-five movies. I've written over forty, and I've produced over a hundred. So I'm trying to creep up on Fred there, you know
0: <laughs> well uh, if anybody's gonna if anybody's gonna catch up to Fred or surpass him, it will be you i'm sure
2: right right but you know it's not a it's not accounting it's it's just work you know i have to the the way to make a living for me is make movies, and if I don't make movies, I don't make a living, and I got a family to take care of and so it's uh it's it's really just a matter of uh continually just just working and networking and and uh and uh you know, putting pieces together and writing and producing and directing. And, and before you know it, you just, you know, the movies have collected over time, you know, and you, and then you, you look at your IMDb and it just keeps going on and on and on and on.
0: <laughs> well, it's amazing. Let's, let's, um let's uh tease some of that out because uh, um, to make a living and to be making movies, uh, which is what many people want to do. Um, they, they start with their, their, product and and let's say they've scripted it and they've got that ready um what about the networking what about the financing how do where do you go once you have uh an idea let's 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 go that way
2: well let's start with the idea okay yep so the question is what type of movie do you want to make and there's 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 really two types of movies if we want to break it down there's the commercial movie where you're looking at the marketplace and you're making a movie uh, for a marketplace and designing it um, in such a way that you know that that type of genre sells. Then there's the other way of making a movie, which is something that's close to your heart, and you don't really care about the marketplace. You don't care about the, the, the genre. It's something that's near and dear to your heart, and you just want to make it. now it's tough to make money and it's tough to get financing for movies that you just kind of want to make and you just have a desire to, it's a lot easier to get money and, and make movies that are commercial, much more commercial. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of an issue because we, you know, it's, it's the film business, right. And it's uh, a commercial and, 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 and you know, you don't, you don't get to keep making movies if you don't make any money making movies. So, um, I like to look at movies as commercial design. I'm a big fan of commercial design. Um, and commercial design to me is, um, you know, uh, 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 Johnny Ive, who designed all of Apple's computers for the last couple decades. You know, he's one of the greatest commercial designers of all time. You know, um, uh, Mies van der Rohe was one of the great uh, architects and furniture designers of all time. You know, um, and the, one of the greatest film designers of all time. Um, is Spielberg. Uh, There's really nobody else that designed films for a market for an audience as well as someone like Spielberg, and um, and so we have to. I think it's important to recognize, and I think we touched on this last night, maybe a little bit that you know, you take an artist like a Jackson Pollock, uh, who's who just. I don't know if your your viewer your listeners know Jackson Pollock, but he's the guy who painted just basically scribbles all over the all over the canvas, and mm-hmm. um, and that became very large in a time when abstract painting became large and and he probably, and I I, I don't remember Jackson Pollock's uh, but I think Jackson Pollock died of a car accident, but you know his paintings didn't make money um, until after he passed away but we can't do that as filmmakers, we have to make money and make money for others and and make a profit on these things so it's imperative to design a movie for a marketplace for an audience, so rather than making something just for yourself that only you're going to like um, generally uh, the way to make money and get money for movies is to make something that you think masses of people like. Now that's not to say if you make something that you like a lot and that's just for you, masses of people won't like it, but you have better odds of, uh, of turning over a profit if you make something for the masses. So that comes down to the idea, like we, we just mentioned. So generally in an independent film world, Uh, there's really three genres of movies that are – nothing's a sure bet, but you have a better chance of making money, getting investors, finding financing. And those three genres really are right now, I think, and this is my humble opinion, uh, action movies, um, romantic comedies, and what we call female-centric thrillers. Um, The thing with action movies – the problem with action movies is when you make an action movie, you have to compete with um, (laughs) – Um, you have to compete with the big studio movies. You know,
0: people
2: uh, are used to seeing massive action, you know, like in Transformers, so how do you do that on a low budget? That's pretty darn tough to do, but it's been done. It's been done. Uh, but uh, it's a lot easier to make a female-centric thriller or romantic comedy that it's more about the dialogue, it's more about the plot, um, and to compete with bigger budget movies. Um, so those are the three genres I, would, I, 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 I tell people to focus on if they're going to if they're wondering, well, how do I find money? How do I make movies? How do I make money with movies? Generally, those. Now, if you throw in a dog, a dog doesn't hurt, you know. Or make a movie with a, <laughs> about a dog. Uh, uh, you could throw in a dog in the romantic comedy. You don't need to throw in the dog with with the thriller or the action movie, but you throw in the dog with the romantic comedy. Now you have a new genre, and that genre has value too. Or if you just make a dog movie without a romantic comedy. So <laughs> there's all these combinations. <laughs> uh, but um, you know, uh, so it first comes to the idea. So. So generally what, what I do is I don't – I think that people uh, conceptualize wrong the idea of finding financing for movies or getting money for movies. Because I think what, what often uh, independent filmmakers do is they're, they're going to go look for money. And it's hard to just go look for money. you got to know somebody. you got to find somebody. you got to find somebody who's interested. What I do is look for companies to hire me to make movies. Companies need content. And that's just a different – way of looking at it. Rather than looking for money, I'm looking for companies that are distribution companies, generally, who know what to do with the movie once it gets made and they know what they're looking for. Um, When you look for an individual, say your neighbor is, uh, you know, you have a friend who's very wealthy and they're looking for some place to put some money and they, they like the movie business, you have a very big responsibility of making that movie on budget and make a profit with it or else your friend's not going to be very happy with you. Uh, and that story happens over and over and over again. Um, if you're making a movie for a company who they understand the marketplace and they understand distribution, then, um, there's a rapport between both of you. There's an understanding of what you're producing. And then if it doesn't sell or doesn't make money, it's more the, it's more their responsibility because they asked for it a certain way. They had a chance to change the script. They had a chance to discuss the talent that's in it. And, uh, And I think it's a much easier road, but it's so, you know, the question is how do you get to that point to get companies to make, to hire you to make movies? Right. Um, What I, uh, what I try to tell people is that you have to build up a track record of producing anything. Um, And I think we talked about this the other night too. Um, You know, you have to build up a track record. So if you want to make, if you want to produce something, you have to start, if you want to produce movies, you have to start with a track record of producing things, and they don't have to be movies. You can start producing depositions for lawyers. you can start producing commercials for youth car salesmen. You can start producing uh, 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 real estate videos uh, uh, for for real estate brokers. Then you can work yourself up to maybe you're producing short films or maybe you're producing you know so you start to build up a track record of things you've done, and eventually you get to a point where a distribution movie company, would possibly trust you with their money or an independent financer might say to you, well, what have you done Well, you could show them, okay, I haven't done a movie commercials. I've done training videos. I've done this and that. And then they, 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 they then appreciate your ability to put a team together, to understand cameras, to understand post-production, all that together to show that you can make a product. And then they trust you more. So, um, you know, they would talk about chicken and egg. Like I can't can't get money money if I haven't made a movie. Well, I think that if you start, if you start at a at a smaller, you know, uh, something smaller, and you you could also just produce your own small movies that don't cost much money, and then just show how you've made something for, let's say you made something for three thousand dollars. Well, that could show how good you can make something for three hundred thousand dollars. You know. <laughs>
0: I think so, that's a, a marvelous. I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt, you, but I think that's a marvelous approach that uh, that a lot of people don't think
2: through. Uh, no, they don't think it through. I meet a lot of people who have a script and they're looking for financing, and you know, scripts are a dime a dozen. Honestly, um, scripts are very subjective. Uh, you know, say, someone might hand me a script and they say, "All my friends think it's the best thing since sliced bread." And I read it and I think it's terrible or the vice versa. Someone might say 10 friends think it's terrible, so it's very subjective scripts, you know? Um, So um, it's hard to just have a script and then go find financing and then finding people willing to separate from their money is very difficult. And here's a very important aspect. And I, I, I really, I think the other day we talked about it too, is I think ethics and morality are really critical and important to making movies and developing a track record and, 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 so that if you have a track record, somebody can call up, you know, you directed a commercial, you produced a commercial for a used car salesman. Somebody could call up that guy and say, how was my experience? How was your experience with that person? And, and that used car salesman would say, it was great. The person is a quality person, and, and I trust them uh, um, with everything, you know. So you need to develop a track record um, and uh, because it's very hard to just go to somebody and say, hey, separate from your money.
1: And then the uh, the
2: other aspect of that is you can't really tell somebody how much money they're going to make with a movie. You just can't. It's not ethical at all because you just don't know the numbers. And, and even if you use comparisons, which you see often, and I think it's a very reasonable thing to do. If you create a presentation for your movie or what they call a deck lately, your movie that tells what it's about and has a synopsis and the characters. And then you could have a breakdown of other movies that are similar and how much movies those have made. That's great, but it still is not really um, telling. Uh, uh, you know, you hope that your investor is smart enough to recognize that, but I think you have to be honest that you know if it, 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 the movie can tank too. Uh, there's no. Oh right. You don't know. You don't know if you're going to make a movie as good as those other movies. You don't know. If, a lot of times, too, movies that do well is because of the marketing departments behind them or the distribution behind them. There's plenty of examples of movies that are horrendous uh that made a lot of money and it's because of the marketing behind them or the distribution or if we take for instance movie studios movie studios will spend 200 300 million dollars on an avengers movie but they're going to spend 100 to 300 million dollars to tell us to go see it you know we right. don't do that in independently um uh, movie studios recognize that if they're going to invest 300 million dollars in the movie they better invest another $300 million to tell people to go see the movie. Now they're $600 million in, but if they make a billion, they're okay. You know, So it's very difficult to, once you get an investor, get somebody that's interested, to tell them uh, uh, how they're going to make money and, and actually be honest about that money. So it's a tough situation to be in. Um, and there's all sorts of ways that movies get made, um, and they do. Um, sometimes it's just persistence. You know, um, sometimes someone just feels so strongly about something. But while you're searching for money and being persistent, you got to be working so that that person that's going to invest in you is not just investing in movies, but they're investing in you and your abilities that you've proven.
0: Well, and I think I think that's a, again a critical distinction. A lot of people don't what you what you were saying. Let me see if 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 when I say this to you, if you agree or disagree, or will elaborate. A lot of people don't know one a good script from a bad script, which is what you pointed out, and and everybody has a different opinion. And you know, I've seen packages where somebody say, um, "My movie's like Jaws, and Jaws made you know eight hundred bazillion dollars, you know, or my movie's like Paranormal Activity or Blair Witch, or you know, one of these things. They like they they make you know ir, you know." It, erroneous comparisons, but, you know, on a good day, they could say, well, you know, this is likely we're not going to do that. But, but so, you know, the, the outer end of what's possible. Uh, but it, it seems that, that most people when they chase money, they don't understand the investor's mind or what an investor is looking for. I mean, a savvy investor, not your uncle or somebody who's got money that you're just you know trying to. Um... So what I, I like about what you've proposed is, you know, is going to, uh, people who are already in the business who know the business and and having your track record and having a in re- having a reputable reputation uh, an ethical right. honest reputation and uh, and making a presentation based on that uh, you know i I have had friends who've made you know wonderful movies I've loved their movies and and it came the day of the release and and something like the coronavirus or something some event has 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 eclipsed their opening or has eclipsed their run and nowadays a run in the theater isn't like the old days where you know you may have had 10 days or 10 weeks or in some cases you know a uh, a long time now if you know if you're not making you know big bucks in a short period of time they just put a different movie in the theater
2: Uh yeah well well even the even discussion about theaters doesn't even exist anymore really I mean Surely. they're just really Independent films and theaters anymore. I mean, which is fine. There's 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 lots of other ways to, to sell movies and make money. Uh, it's unfortunate, you know, because uh, there's just nothing better than seeing your movie in a the theater and seeing it on the on the marquee right. and you know. But things have changed, and the reason for that is it just costs so much money to distribute a movie to the theater. If that uh, a distribution company isn't going to take it there unless they know they can make the money back. Um, True. So, but, you know, to, to get into the whole distribution, uh, game also, you know, I I think a lot of people don't, I I was lucky when I was younger, when I, when I started in the business, which we talked about previously and, and, uh, working for my father, my father was doing foreign distribution at the film markets at, uh, at Cannes, a market in Milan called MeFed, which has since closed at AFM, the American film market in Santa Monica, um, Um, other TV markets like Myth and Nappy. And I learned a lot about the business then and about the distribution of content to the world. Um, I was lucky to have that education. And actually, my father started his distribution company because three other distribution companies ripped him off. And he said, forget it. I'm just going to start my own distribution company. And we would literally go to the film markets with a valise, uh, uh, you know, a suitcase full of back then VHS tapes, a cylinder with posters in it, and we would bring with us an NTHC a, a TV, which you know you're just your standard american type television to to and a VCR we would bring those to the to the market because it was cheaper to bring them to Italy than to rent the televisions in Italy that were uh, you know, uh, Europe has the pal as the PAL format, whereas America has the N c port format and uh, it was actually cheaper for us to bring a TV and just leave it there when we're done but um you know, we would bring our wares and then, uh, and then I learned the business of selling movies to the foreign markets. I also learned a lot of the pitfalls of selling movies in the foreign markets. I also learned a lot of pitfalls of letting a distribution company take your movie to the foreign markets and what's involved. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very disheartening, uh, unsettling world to be in when you've made a movie and now you have a foreign distribution company taking it to the markets to sell it. Um, it's tough, so we can start getting into that world if you want. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're ready. Well,
0: start. I would, uh, I would love to. What I was going to say is, we were going, you know, also with the notion of the idea, you know, the romantic comedy or the the uh, female based centered thriller. Um, can you? I mean, because a lot of people said, you know, got to make a horror movie. It's got to be one location. Got to be cheap and down and dirty. Um, can you? Can you? kind of break down why each of those um, genres or especially like the female centered thriller, you know, is, is a, is a wise choice.
2: So let me ask you this, what network, what channel, or what distribution medium, who do you think is the largest buyer of independent film? And this is, I I don't know if this is a hundred percent true, but I'm pretty sure of it. Who do you think is the largest buyer of independent film? Like what channel, um, let's say let's say, what, what cable channel or what television channel do you think is the biggest part of independent new film?
0: I, I would think it would be, well, a Lifetime or Hallmark.
2: Okay. You answered it correctly. Although, I, I, Fred Owen Ray and my friend Richard Goodbye and I did a, uh, did a seminar at Beverly Hills Film Festival a few years ago, and I asked that question, and nobody can answer that question. And the answer most likely is the Lifetime channel. OK, Lifetime has two channels, Lifetime and LMN or Lifetime Movie Network. Now they kind of call it Lifetime Movies and they buy hundreds of independent films. Whenever I make a Lifetime movie, people call them a Lifetime movie. And I tell people all the time, it's not a Lifetime movie. We make them on spec. We make a movie designed to sell the Lifetime channel and then hopefully they buy it. But uh, Lifetime channel doesn't have to buy it. So not a, it's not a, a slam dunk. But if you design a movie correctly in the female-centric thriller sort of genre, uh, there's a good chance you could sell it to the Lifetime channel or Lifetime movies. But everything has to, have, it has to have the right feel and look. If you want to do that, I suggest you watch those movies and that channel over and over and over again you understand what the filmmaker's doing. Um, it might be upsetting because you can't really, you know, you might think that you're the next coming of uh, Fellini or David Lynch, and now you're making a lifetime movie, which has a, just a different feeling. It's a different type of movie. Uh, it's a more of a controlled movie. It's more of a. It's got the plots and the beat are very specific as to what they need to be. And uh, but it's filmmaking, and actually you should take pride. I always say this, Rex. By the way, I like to use an analogy with movies. Is that uh, if I went to when I was a kid, I loved drawing cars, and I was thought, thinking about going to car design school. And as as you know, I went to architecture school, but. If mm-hmm. I went to Pasadena Center, which is one of the best car design schools, and I graduated, I would want to I would want to design Ferraris. Say I got a job designing Hondas. Well, I'm going to make the best damn Honda I can. And, you know, if you look at a Honda, um, my son has a beautiful Honda Accord Ford, or that car is really close to competing with an Audi for half the price or a
1: third mm-hmm. the price,
2: you know? So, you know, take pride in making a product that is almost as good as something that's Actually, with movies, we can make things for half a million dollars that can be just as good as something that's ten times, a hundred times the price, you know? So, um, so when I get – when I'm talking about Lifetime movies, what we're trying to do with Lifetime movies is we're trying to make something look very glossy and very theatrical uh, for a low price and, um, and then – but make sure we focus on what the, genre, what the genre is and what type of movie the audience is expecting to watch. And, um, and if you watch that channel over and over again, you'll, you'll, you'll get the gist of what they're expected to watch. Now, Hallmark uh, buys independent films, but they make a lot more of their own product, too. Um, so I, w- I think Lifetime probably buys more than Hallmark. But a Hallmark movie is also a different animal. And you can watch that and get a sense of what a Hallmark movie is, you know, and, um, and what the storylines are. And I highly suggest anybody to set out and try to make a Hallmark-style movie that's a glossy, attractive, um, um, you know, it's a movie that's just got all those standard Hallmark bells and whistles that Hallmark's looking for. And if you can't sell the Hallmark, you might be able to sell it to the Ion Channel. You might even sell it to the Lifetime Channel. If you add a little Christmas in it, you have a little more options around Christmas time. If you add a dog in it, you know, so you're, we're talking about designing a product because I want people to make movies and make money. Um, you know, um, if you take, for example, if you take, for example, the movie Tully starring Charlize Theron, if you mm-hmm. or I made that movie starring you or I or, you know, starring, uh, you know, your, your, your sister uh, as <laughs> Tully, um, right. it's not going to go anywhere. Nobody's going to buy it. Nobody's going to watch it, and it's going to lose money, and maybe it will, you know, but the odds are very, very low. But if Charlize Theron wants to star in it, boom, it's, now it's a theatrical release. So, you know, you've got to be careful – making those stories that are close to you that are those independent feeling movies, because it's gotta be darn good. It's gotta be really good. It's got to really, you know, uh, 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 blow away everybody. And it's really hard to do because movies are so subjective. You can make a movie that everybody thinks is great, but the buyers don't like it. You know, it's very subjective. The moment you throw in a star. Now, if you know, Charlize Theron and you know, and she's your friend and you have a great script, she might do your movie and then you that's, but that's a whole nother world. So I don't get very often opportunities to make movies that are really interesting and independent, which, which, which is disheartening. And I'd like to, but I got a family to take care of when you're younger though. And you can afford to do that. Go for it. You know, if you have an investor who doesn't care and maybe it's a money's a tax write off, go for it. Try to take that chance because you might not get that opportunity later in life when you have a family to take care of, because now you got to make money and you can't just, you know, just make an interesting movie about, you know, something random.
0: There are so many things about what you just said that I appreciate. And, and I hope I can go back and pick out a couple of them. You know, one is, is uh, I think of it like you can either, you know, easily travel downstream or you can spend all of your time trying to, you know, push your boat upstream. And, uh, and, and what you're suggesting is is this notion of, you know, go with the flow, go where the market is and, and make for the market, design something that's good for, for a market and, you know, and get yourself known and, and continue to do that. And, and you can make a living at it.
2: You know, I, right. I
0: often think the, the biggest problem with people is they have this baby script that they, that the stream script that they want to make. And I was sitting with a friend of mine, he's a very cool, very great guy. Big guy works with all the top A-list actors and, we were in his office one day and he said, well, that's a $300 million movie. That's not going to get made. And I said, how come he goes? Cause you know, so-and-so turned it down. And I said, so what? He said, well, who do you think is going to open this movie? And then he listed off like five or six people. And I said, well, and he goes, they're not going to open it. The movie's done. It's toast. It's over. It's gone. And I said, well, you know, the difference between the Hollywood industry which, that he, you are describing, he's describing and what a lot of grassroots filmmakers do that I hear or that I encounter you know, daily in the world is uh, they'll say, well, let's just get a bunch of people and make the movie. And they don't think about, you know, opening it. They don't think about stars. They don't think about, you know, uh, any of the things that you're talking about. And, and, and they just try and do it. And then now they've got this product that has nobody in it. You know, it was made for whatever and, and they have nowhere to take it and nobody really wants it. And then they, and then they're disappointed as opposed to, Maybe not having your dream happen, but, but working steadily with the idea that maybe, especially as a younger filmmaker, that ultimately you'll develop enough credibility and enough street power right. to make the movie that you want to make.
2: Right. Well, listen, I think the dream, for me, the dream is every day when I'm on set directing a movie. And it doesn't matter what yeah. movie it is, because it's all the same. It's all the same language. It's all the same mechanics. It's all drama, and, and to me, creating something out of nothing is spectacular, and every day is living the dream and making a movie. So just being on set, making a movie is exciting, and, and I think that that's a, a goal that everybody who wants to make movies should really be, and whether your whether dream is directing or it's producing or it's, it's cinematography, whatever, but it's, the goal is always just to be on set, because there's a lot of people out there who just want to be on a movie set, let alone make, you know, let alone making something that is near and dear to their heart or something that's a big budget, just being on a movie set. And, and, you know, a movie set of a quote-unquote Lifetime movie or Hallmark movie, and say you have a crew of 25 people, is really not much different than a crew of 100 people on a studio film um, uh, oftentimes. I mean, sure, you might do a studio film. I I Actually, you know, a lot of studio films are shot on green screen. There's nothing around except for the crew, you know, as opposed to sometimes to make a movie where um, I'm out on the beach or I'm out in the desert. Or I'm at a beautiful museum or something, and, and what I'm doing is just as interesting and spectacular and, um, and not much different than a studio film. By the way, it's a really interesting thing about this business, I think, and I find it so fascinating, that's, and, which I touched on a little bit, which is that if, 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 um, if I wanted to design – if I wanted to not design cars, but I wanted to start a car company like Elon Musk did with Tesla, okay – and I want to compete with Ford and GM and Chevy and beyond, whatever uh, um, Chevy is GM, but um, it would cost me billions and billions of dollars, right? If I want to make a product that competes with a Ford Mustang, it's going to cost me billions of dollars. I can't do that. There's no way in hell I'm going to do it. I mean, Elon Musk pulled it off and uh, that's one guy really that's pulled it off after all this time, but you can make a movie that can compete with the big boys. For a very low price. And you can even make a movie. I mean, if you look at Steven Soderbergh, he made Unsane and, Fly- and High Flying Bird on an iPhone and released them theatrically. And people chose to go to his movies rather than an Avengers film, or rather than, a, you know, a Halle Berry movie or something. And that's pretty sure. darn cool about what you do, you know? Because at the end of the day, to me, the most important uh, uh, shot in a movie is a close-up. and And it's all about the eyes. And you could have the fanciest half a million dollar uh Panavision or Arri Alexa whatever it might be in the best lens and an Arri 10 to 1 whatever shooting that close up and i could be shooting that close up with a with a with a Blackmagic uh pocket cinema camera uh 4 or 6k which are really cheap and they're beautiful
1: mm-hmm.
2: and my close up and my moment could be better than the moment in that 200 million dollar film you know oh. so it's exciting what, what we can do. It's just really helping people understand the whole business machine behind it all. And, and, uh, and that it's a very tough business. It's not a, it's not a business of like, you know, um, um, we can take toilet paper right now. Cause that's, uh, that's being <laughs> sold both, I think, right? uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, to both. Right. People be like, what are they talking about? But for some reason people are buying toilet paper like crazy, but you know, you make a product like toilet paper, Right, you make the product, you package the product, you get markets to, to buy, to to you know, you wholesale the markets. They put it on the shelves, the consumer buys it, and that's it. You make money. It's just not that way with movies. It's much more complicated. It's much more on. Um, uh, There's sort of a, a pirate mentality to movies. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it's an ever flowing marketplace. I mean, when my father started making movies, uh, VHS really just started existing, you know, and then it changed to you know, DVDs and then it changed to VOD and it cha- you know, and it, it changes and you have to kind of, you know, but at the end of the day, all of those delivery mediums, they all are delivering a movie, you know? And uh, so that's, what's really cool. At the end of the day, if you make something 82 to 200 minutes, it doesn't matter how long really uh, that product can be sold, but you have to understand the various places where it sells and who wants to buy, and really be realistic. It's really be realistic about, about movies and what sells, you know. And, and I know that some people might be a bummer that, you know, that Hallmark movies are going to make, or romantic comedy with the dog is going to make more money than their really, uh, um, you know, personal uh, journey into self-awareness and drugs or something. And it's really a bummer, but, uh, but that's just the way it is, right? So we have to be honest how it is. I don't know what we
0: went on there. Uh, What I appreciate about you and what you're sharing is, is, is one, like I told you, being on set with you, you're, you're, you're inspiring and motivational. You're easy to get along with, Uh, you know, you lead, you lead from a a good example place of, of how to create, you know, cooperation and harmony and, uh, and you work well with the people then. And on top of it, what I appreciate about what you've said tonight is you said a moment ago, and if I, I, I got the quote right, you know, the, the dream for me is being on a set every day, you know, and directing a movie. Um, I think sometimes what happens when I uh, when I was a, a young guy, I, I wanted to act. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to act, I wanted to act, I wanted to act. And I got hired for a TV movie to do props and some other things and whatever so I'm on the set for six weeks on this thing for CBS and I was miserable the whole time. I mean, I, I was, I was glad I was there, but I was miserable because I wasn't in front of the camera where all the other TV stars were. And I right. remember having a conversation with the, at the hairdresser and the makeup artist was a married couple. And, and I said, yeah, you know, when I to act acted this that, and the other thing was, and they said, well, don't you think we wanted to do that? I said, well, no, I, <laughs> you know, I, I assumed you wanted to do hair and makeup. They said, no, what we wanted to do was be in the film business. And we couldn't get arrested as actors, but we're in the film business, and and every time we're working, we're living our dream. And and at the time, I didn't I didn't appreciate that. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, I didn't blow them off. I was I was polite to them, but it just didn't register to me that um, the dream is doing what you want to be doing, you know. And if if making movies is what you want to do, directing movies is what you want. If you get to do that every day, wow, how incredible!
2: Right. And the thing about movies, though, too, is anybody can do it every day. You actually don't need you need very, very little money to make a movie. And I try to champion people in this respect, too. I mean, we talked about the other day about Filmic Pro, the app on the iPhone. You can make right. a movie with an iPhone. You know, right. you can write a story. It doesn't cost any money to write a story. And I'll tell you about scripts, too. I didn't know I could write scripts until someone wanted me to make a movie for them. And, 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 and I said, do you have a script? And he said, no. Do you have a script? And I said, no. And then he said, well, write a script. And then he paid me to write a script. Now, he <laughs> paid me, which is great. But <laughs> I, I had a movie. It was part of the whole package of making the movie. But I then turned around and wrote the script in three days. You know? So, wow. um, and the movie, Lionsgate released that movie. And uh, wow. that movie's called A Dead Calling. Uh, What's it called? Um, it's called A Dead oh. Calling, starring it's Alexander dead. Holden. And uh, uh, you know, the point is that anybody can sit down and you know, I suggest buying final draft for 130 bucks, whatever sure. it costs so you can get on sale all the time for like 99 bucks. <clears throat> Cause that's the easiest way to start typing. And it looks like a script and you can right. read scripts. Fine. You can download scripts, <clears throat> you know, you can do your research. So it doesn't cost anything to write a script, right? Just time. Everything's about time. Right. And then, once you're ready to, 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 once that script's ready, um, it, it, you don't, if you, you could write your script. I, I love the Robert Rodriguez, El Mariachi way of making movies, which sure. is, you know, he sat down, he's like, okay, what do I have? I have a dog. I have a guitar. I have an apartment. I have a neighborhood. I have a friend who's got this place that looks like a drug cartels, you know, rich mansion. You know, I'm going to write a story around all these things I have, and then I'm going to go out and make it. And he did. And, and, and the rest is history uh, Robert Rodriguez is one of the most successful filmmakers in history. And it started mm-hmm. with El Mariachi with him just going out. Now he shot on film film used to be film is very expensive and you hadn't to right. on film. And that was really a barrier to making movies, but we don't have that problem anymore. I mean, I could buy a, a, a 10 terabyte hard drive now for $189. I, I in 1998, I bought a, um, I bought a nine gigabyte hard drive for $2,600, <laughs> exactly. and twenty five you know, so we don't have these barriers anymore. Your phone, you can literally shoot on your phone or you could go, you know, I love, there's certain cameras. I love shooting on DSLRs. Uh, uh, there's a camera called the Sony a 6300 that they've actually gone higher than now a 6500, but I own a couple a 6300s. It shoots 4k, it shoots raw, it has focus peaking and, um, uh, you could even shoot a movie on a on a GoPro. Um, I mean, a right. DJI Mavic 2 drone costs $1,500. It's a Hasselblad camera, you know? <laughs> so there's no barrier to entry. It's really just creativity and time. Now, are you going to make money with that first movie you make? Well, you know, uh, that's another question. But you have to see it as making money eventually, where you make that movie, you make it good, you make it watchable, it's got some nice quality to it. And that's going to be your calling card for your next project you do, which could be a movie or a commercial, or like I said, even filming a lawyer's deposition or something, you know. And and the the just the the cool thing about making movies, there's no barrier to it. You could be literally making movies every single day. Um, We have the tools, and they're cheap. They're cheap. We all are walking around with a movie camera in our pockets. I mean, with Filmic Pro, you could shoot 4K. You could control the f-stop. You could control the focus. You could rack focus with Filmic Pro on your iPhone. It's amazing, you know, and, um, and it's broadcastable. So you can literally shoot something on your iPhone. If you, if you buy a Blackmagic camera, it comes with DaVinci Resolve, which has right. the color correction tools that the highest-end studios use, so you can color-correct your, your iPhone footage. And, and I promise you, my mother and your mother wouldn't know the difference whether it's shot <laughs> on an Arri Alexa or an iPhone.
1: Well, and true and,
2: and it'll, pass, it'll pass QC also if you're – you just have to be careful – what you shoot and how, whatever, but it'll, QC means quality check. You always have to pass QC on, on movies. That's a big thing with delivery of movies and foreign markets and distribution is your movie has to pass QC. So you have to do a, a relatively proper post-production on it uh, so that your movie has proper quality and they can broadcast it, but you can shoot an iPhone and, 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 and finish it up properly and it's broadcastable and sellable.
0: Well, let so let's, let's... Uh, this is all very exciting i don't want to i don't want to shift topics too much because because i like where we're headed but let's let's talk a little bit about uh uh deliverables and what needs to be uh what your picture has to have in order to get released
2: okay well let's start with post production okay so mm-hmm. post production is really quite simple people it 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 gets it gets made complex why people don't know what they're doing or don't want to take the time to learn just the basics. The basics are you shoot your movie, you edit it. Once you edit your movie and you're happy, you lock your cut, right? That lock cut then goes to your composer, your sound designer and your host house, or you can do it yourself, but color correction. right? But Mm -hmm. so what's important with delivery of a movie, it's important to have a good composer and, and composers make money on the back end, actually. So this is an interesting thing. There's a lot of people out there who want to compose music. There's a lot of Berklee uh, School of Music graduates who want to compose music, and they really want these jobs, and they'll do a great job. I promise you. It's it's, uh, it's so many talented composers out there. It's amazing. Uh, my my composer is Brandon Jarrett. He's composed 40-something movies for me and he's a genius, and he's one of the best guys in the world, and and, and uh, the first movie he did for me, he did one movie. He hadn't composed any movies for me. He did one. I was like, wow. And I've had other composers before Brandon. Uh, I mean, I've never gone wrong with a composer. And by the way, if a composer uh, uh, um, doesn't do the job, you can go to another composer and pull it. But composers make move money on the backside with ASCAP and BMI. So um, um uh, it's not going to cost you a lot to have somebody compose music, but I highly suggest having a composer because movies and music are synonymous. They go together. And when you edit your movie, your editor should be editing with the top quality music uh, because you can use that as temp. Anyways, that's a whole nother conversation. If you ever want to have a conversation about post-production, but that music, then sound design. It's really critical. Again, you can do your own sound design in DaVinci Resolve or in Pro Tools. You can have a friend. Uh, But sound design is really critical, and that's where one of the major hookups is with delivery. Because in sound, we have to deliver a separate M&E, and that stands for music and effects track. And the distributors are looking for, since you're competing with bigger budget movies, they really don't care that your movie costs $3,000. They still want the sound and the separate M&E and all of those stems and everything that goes with sound, they still want it to be of a quality that's similar to those big-budget movies. But it's very doable because <clears throat> DaVinci Resolve that has sound, Pro Tools, there's different programs people use, are, are still affordable. <clears throat> but a separate M&E means... What that means is... And it's, it's, a, it's a very easy concept to understand, but a lot of people don't know what it is because they just hear it. But, but so <clears throat> let's say somebody in a movie is at a door and they're they're yelling out you know, and they're knocking, hello, is anybody home? And they're knocking on the door, right? You need to provide for the distributor the knocking sound with the dialogue and the knocking sound without the dialogue because when you sell it to France, they're going to want to stick in the French and they need the knocking uh, without any dialogue on top. They're going to lay in their French, so they want a separate music and effects track. They need the music separate. They need the effects separate. But distributors are really specific about effects. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. I did a movie where a woman was crying, and she had a Kleenex in her hand, and she was rubbing the Kleenex in her fingers. And you or I could never hear that Kleenex, right? Mm -hmm. But the distributor turned our movie back and made us fix it and add the sound of of the tissue rubbing, even though we could never hear it because the distributor listened to it without the English dialogue. And they didn't mm-hmm. hear it, and and they're like, "Well, that has to be in there," and so we had to go back and add it. It's so minimal, but that's what distributors do. They want to have, they want to have the footsteps, they want to have the knocking, they want to have the sirens in the background, they want to have a, all of that separate. So that's part of delivery, also. <clears throat> then, on the color correction side.
0: Well, um, before finally, you go to color correction, can I can I, um, I wanted I wanted to say something. Uh, yeah. about the sound yeah. design because a lot of my good friends are sound designers and or recorders, you know, on-set recording and mixers. And um, I've always been a huge proponent for good quality sound on a project because so often um, if you go to a film festival yeah. or you go to screenings and, and somebody's made a low-budget movie, the sound yes. is not quality. You know, it sounds tinny, it, it sounds, sounds hollow, is, it sounds shallow. It sounds shallow.
2: A if it's a dead giveaway for low-budget movies if, it's, if the sound is bad.
0: Yep. And so so yep. not only is the sound design critical, but the production sound is, is critical. And, and I, I see so many people, like, you know, they don't think, I mean, and I get it. If you're a student filmmaker, you know, you hand somebody, you know, a, a boom and say, can you boom this? But I think there's an art to booming. There's an art to sound mixing. Well, there's an art to capture good I have, sound.
2: I have to tell you, I disagree with you okay okay and uh uh, production sound good production sound is not critical at all okay in fact
0: well because you can fix uh, it but
2: it can all be fixed in fact it drives me crazy on set when people wait for say let's say you have very little time to shoot and an airplane's overhead and the airplane's taking forever and they're waiting don't wait just go because we can fix it anytime you ever see a movie on the streets of new york city right All of that Mm -hmm. material is 8-yard, 8-yard automated dialogue replacement, looping. Everybody's seen that before, right? It's all fixed because you can't have the sounds of the truck going by and the bus going by and the person yelling. So you have to fix it all. So all sound is fixable. And I'll give you an example, Westerns, because you're in my Western and I've made a lot of Westerns. Virtually none of the sound that we do outside on a Western is usable. Like, literally none of it. It all has to be replaced because, because you can still, even when you're on a ranch in the middle of nowhere, uh, you can still hear life. In fact, the scene that we shot of yours well, right. in the uh, mayor's office, there's huge power lines overhead. And they're way overhead, but you still can hear those power lines. And a distributor will not accept a uh, uh, or a lab will not QC give a, give a, give a pass on a QC with the sound of power lines or the sound of life. And also a Western, there was no electricity. There was no generator. There was none. And, you, and a sound designer can't bury that into the sound design. So we ADR all of it. We replace all that dialogue. Um, now, interior, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you can keep it. And, you know, actors hate replacing dialogue, but it's part of the job. And oh, the I rimbles.
0: know. He, so, so that begs the question, does that mean I, gotta come, that I get to come back and, 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 and do ADR? Uh, you I, will I,
2: be 100%. You will be. I didn't want
0: to put you on the spot. I mean, just, I mean, but I, but oh, I, you will I, be. Assume... I mean, it, it's already,
2: it's already budgeted. My, my movies are all budgeted for all actors to come in for ADR because, um, because, uh, um, uh, you, you can't. So, what you should do, always endeavor to get the best sound, best production sound on set. And, uh, but at the end of the day, if you have a good guide track, that's okay. But right. time is money. Don't wait. When you're shooting, don't wait for perfect sound. Uh, or, like, let's say you're shooting at someone's house. Don't pull the refrigerator uh, and destroy the person's food in their house <laughs> because you want pristine sound because you're just going to probably fix the sound anyways. By the way, if you do pull the refrigerator, a good trick for a sound a sound mixer is put your keys in the refrigerator so you don't forget that you turned off the refrigerator
1: and oh, destroyed every great. food. That's
2: a great yeah, tip. It happens. It it happens all the time, and you know, you rent a restaurant, or let's say a, a restaurant gives you know, let's say they rent you the restaurant for five hundred bucks, and then you destroy their food in the refrigerators, so and now they're mad and they want two thousand dollars from you because you destroyed their food. So a good tip is put your keys in the fridge. So when you when you're going to go to leave, you, you you're like, where's my keys? And then you go back to the fridge, and there it is. You turn it back on.
0: There you um, go. That's great.
2: Um, my good, but, well, my uh, good friend Stacy uh, Hill, who's a top sound mixer in the business, does that. So, um, um uh, so, and, and so so. On, uh, Amazon, yeah, go ahead, Rex.
0: Well, I was going to say, I mean, uh, you know, my my first point was was onset production, which which you've given a great lesson to. Um, the other was the, 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 the don't script on the sound design. I, I was at a friend of mine's studio, and I said uh, we were watching. A, it was a John Voight movie that he was working on at the time, and a bunch of people. and And I said, How long have you been working on this? Months and months and months. And, uh, and this was five or six years ago. Anyway, the, the, my point was, or my point is, is that most of what sound designers do is they put in sounds that you don't realize you hear, but that you, but that are ambient to an environment in in film that are that are important. Otherwise, it, it does sound hollow. You know, too many of the low-budget movies just have the sound of the dialogue, and they don't think, well, in real life, what was going on when these people were talking and to be able to design right. sound and and to make a you know but sound leads us so much i mean it's like what you're saying about music music in in a movie is is you, you when i was a kid and I, scores of people have done this but you know i would put circus music onto a horror film or put horror music onto a funny movie and it would change you know the you know how you oh. how you view the you view the picture yeah, yeah. um but the same is true of uh, the difference between full sound that you would that you yeah. would get in a big movie and and low budget sound that somebody goes in and records something inside a room and it sounds like they're recording something inside a room.
2: Yeah, I mean it's critical to have good sound and I guess one aspect of that too is that we all know what good sound should sound like and right. uh, and we all know it doesn't sound right. So part of a sound designer's job isn't just cr- being creative with the sounds, but it's bringing realism. <laughs> Uh, so that it doesn't it doesn't actually put a red flag up for you that's actually i actually find that harder it's actually i think easier for a sound designer when sometimes when a scene is like let's say it's a fight in a crowd and the crowd's yelling and then then you have the Mm -hmm. punches and everything actually i think not as hard because you can bury a lot of noises and things and you know but when you have to shoot when you have to do design a sound uh a scene with sound where it's quiet. And it's reflective, and maybe it's on the street, but you don't really want to hear the street. But you want to hear that, like, but there's like you said, the ambience that gets really difficult, and and uh, and you really have to have your mic, your your speakers set up properly in the room, and sit in the right place to listen to it, and and find that right balance. That's actually harder than just throwing in an audience and throwing in the sound of people getting hit. And right. uh, so yeah. Sound is sound is critical, hundred uh, um, percent. I mean, my sound designer that I use on my moves lately, Greg Bosberg. Um, he's been doing it for years, and he buries himself in his studio. He has a home studio. He's got you lift up the floor of the studio, and there's um, there's foley materials in the floor. Um, so you lift up the floor, and there's sand, and there's rocks, and there's other things. And he always has weird things around for all of his foley. So he does the foley. We do the foley, the the mix the ADR, uh, the spotting session, all in his studio. Um, he'll farm things out where necessary, but it's critical. Um, not to say you can't do it at home and do a good job and buy sounds and buy Foley sounds and do your own Foley. Um, but, uh, good post-production is critical. Um, so from music to to sound to color. So good post-production is critical for selling your film because distributors are going to send your film to the same labs, that all the studios go to and that lab technician who's doing the QC, the QC operator, they don't care if your film, if you made it, you know, in nine days versus another film in 90, they're going to, they're going to literally score you the same way as they do the bigger films. So that's actually the biggest um, uh, uh, bottleneck that happens with independent films and selling them and getting them to market is the post-production. And that's why actually a lot of foreign distributors, they don't want to buy films from individuals. Uh, they they go to trusted distributors uh, because they know they're going to deal with all of the all of the headache of QC. They don't want to deal with it, so they let they let the distributor deal with it. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, if you want to get into selling your film, so so we've talked a lot about. Making films and how you can make them on a budget and have to compete and but at the end of the day you got to sell your film or and if you get money from somebody or if a company if a company gives you money it's their problem they sell it it's a lot easier when that happens for me it's like manna from heaven thank God I don't have to sell the film because selling the film is very very difficult um, and uh, it's difficult because you're competing with bigger films <laughs> you're competing with uh, it's 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 a tough thing. The, the the What I call the AFM market, which is the Berlin film market, the Cannes. So a lot of people may not know this, but for instance, the Cannes Film Festival is a film market also.
1: The Berlin <laughs>
2: Film Festival is a film market also. Uh, AFM is only a film market. It's not a festival, right? And a market is literally where distribution companies have either hotel rooms or booths, and they have movies that they've acquired or made themselves, and they – have them sitting on a on in their room in poster form and on trailers and, and on TV screens. And then foreign buyers come to the room and the foreign buyers walk in and say, what do you have for Korea? You know, and then you make a list. This is what I have for Korea. What do you have for France? This is what I have for France. And then those foreign territories buy licenses to those films for seven to 10 years. And they buy those films from the distributors. So here's one of the catches is that mm-hmm. if you're an independent maker you need a distributor to sell your film in the foreign markets generally, right? Well, a distributor in the foreign markets, they're going to take anywhere from 15 to 30% commission to sell your film. That commission is gross money. That's not net, that's gross mm-hmm. money. So, first money's in, they're going to take their money. They also might take money, a marketing fee, to sell your film at the market. They're going to split up the cost of carrying your film with other films. Because it's very expensive to go to the film markets, right? Imagine mm-hmm. if you're a company and you're going to two employees and you're going to rent a booth at Berlin at the Berlin film market, you know, and um, um, and you got to feed them and you got to put them in hotels. It costs a lot of money, and uh, they are going to um, they're going to charge you not only the commissions, but they might also charge you marketing fees. They also might charge you for a trailer and for key art and you know, you might say to them, Hey, I can do the key art for nothing. No, 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 no. We have a guy we pay $5,000 to and we only trust that guy does the best art. And you're like, "Uh, okay, well there goes $5,000, you know? And then they need a trailer. Well, I can make a trailer. No, no, no. We have our company that makes a trailer and that's $7,000, you know, before you know it, you've already, you're already so deep in with this company that they've got to sell a lot more uh, territories than you could ever imagine. And, 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 and remember, these companies—they're going to make money whether you make money. They, it doesn't matter if you, you're not going to make. You know, so meaning, let's say they do a sale to Germany for a hundred thousand dollars. You know, they're going to take their fifteen to thirty thousand dollar commission right off the top. They're going to take their key art the trailer. they are going to take those fees, and they're going to take some extra marketing fees. And you might, you might see fifty thousand dollars out of that hundred thousand dollar sale. And by the way, a hundred thousand dollar sale to Germany is very rare for an independent film. You know. Um, so you, what you, well, you know, and you from that, go...
0: uh, and from the money that you see, you're going to have to pay your people.
2: Well, so let's say I mean, you're that's... an investor and you, you finance a million dollar movie, right? And, mm-hmm. and let's say you made a deal with a, let's say you're a, produ- let's say you're a producer director and you made a deal with an investor. The investor is going to give you a million dollars and the investor is going to keep 50%. You're going to keep 50%, which is very rare actually. Mm-hmm. But, you're both only going to get net points. You're only going to get your money after the movie has made all of its money back and paid back your investor and your investor will see his profit. And then maybe your investor is going to give you your money, you know? And so, uh, it's, it's, it's very tough. Uh, it's very, very tough. You need to find a distributor that you trust. So if you find a distributor you like, you need to tell that distributor, I want names of the people you've sold movies for, and I want references. I want to be able to call those people up. Cause you want to check references on that distributor and see if they were reputable. And if they feel that they got the best money possible and they took, and they were treated the producer fairly, it's really, really critical. Um, now <clears throat> there's also, and there, so there's domestic and foreign, there's domestic distributors, um, and there's domestic distributors that do theatrical, but that's very rare, uh, on an independent film. And then there's DVD distributors. DVD is still a very, very reputable business, uh, you know, Walmart and uh, and Target and Best Buy are still selling DVDs um, and uh, it's a very good business. And then there's, of course, the VOD business, which means, as you know, there's two types of VOD, really. There's SVOD, which is subscription-based, and there's AVOD, which is advertiser-based. And then there's just straight VOD, like something's just on, you know, uh, um, uh, YouTube for free or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, you know, selling to Netflix, which you know, I, I wouldn't really call it, you know, it, it's the, it's the, you know, it's the VOD world, but that's whole another world, but that's very difficult selling a film to Netflix. Um, and, um, you know, there's ancillary markets, you know, and then, and then of course, I personally think eventually, hopefully eventually you'll be able to put a movie up just like you do with music, uh, music, you could put, like, I have two music publishing companies, and, and, uh, and we put music up on using a website called DistroKid. And when you put your music up, DistroKid, in one week, your music is sitting on every single platform in existence. And people wow, can buy cool. it. Now it's up to you to market it. But you can't do that with movies yet. There's no central place I can just give somebody a movie. And without really, DistroKid costs virtually nothing, and they don't take any fees, any commissions, any royalties, any residuals. There's nothing like that with movies yet. Uh, And the reason for that really is probably because of how hard it is to finish a movie to a point where it passes QC and plays back correctly. You know, a movie is 90 minutes or longer or 80 minutes or longer, whereas a a song is only a couple minutes. It's only audio. So it's easy for those companies to do a quick check reference of the song to make sure that the song is uh, 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 plays back properly. So you have a lot less barriers. Uh, so that's why it works with music generally. So that hasn't happened with movies. I think it will happen eventually, but that's far down the line. I think I thought it was going to happen 10 years ago, but never happened. Um, I mean, you could put your movie up on, on YouTube or put your movie up on some, or Vimeo and then market it like crazy. But, uh, it's, it's really hard to get people's attention. It's really hard to get people to spend money. Uh, it's really hard to get people to watch it and get advertising money. Um, it's, a better plan generally to have a foreign distributor take a movie and have them sell it to their uh, uh, licensed buyers in all the territories and then find someone domestically to take the movie. But that's a whole nother realm. So there's the challenge of making a movie. And then there's the whole other challenge of distributing that movie, which is actually more difficult than making the movie.
0: And and in in some ways, I was going to say, and in some ways even more important than uh, producing the movie. I mean, you, obviously if you don't have a product, you can't distribute it, but, um, if you want your product well, sure. to make money, you, you know, you have, to to I mean, you have to take it to
2: market. You have to take it to market, but you know, the market, I mean, let's, we, we can take, uh, uh, uh our, uh, my Western soldier's heart, uh, as an example, Westerns don't sell in the foreign markets. The foreign distributors don't want a Western. Uh, I'm depending entirely on the domestic market to make money on that movie. Um, the moment a foreign buyer sees a cowboy hat, they don't want the movie. I don't know why that is. I don't particularly believe it, but the 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 foreign buyers are the ones that control it i i I, I don't think they really trust their audience. they think their audience would not be interested in a um in a uh, in a um in a western, but I think they would be um, and I think studio films do sell in in the marketplace in foreign markets, but the smaller distributors um don't don't think so and so that's why when i tell people when people ask me about making westerns I, they have to be really really careful what they do and how much money they spend on it because the only market for westerns really is the dvd market um so um <laughs> so, so, to, you know what we talk about, about genres you know and what genre you choose right. to make yeah
0: I, I just wanted to ask you if if I can about Shooting Star. Um, originally, I had I had heard that it, you know it was going to be a film, and then I heard that it might be a pilot. Is there is no. there?
2: No, no, no. Shooting Star is is a feature film, and it will be a feature okay. film. but But um, we might use it as an example of what a TV series could be uh, based on these characters, and maybe oh. even edit it down to a to a 44 minute pilot uh, if we think that uh, that it's possible. So, but at the end of the day, I still have to make money back uh, for my investor and, and my strategy, the best way is to sell it as a feature film, but also uh, another ancillary market or alternative way to make money out of that, because it's kind of like, you got to squeeze the money out of the turnip on these, on these movies. You got to find every corner to sell it. So, you know, as we were making shooting star, we really felt like this little family of the father and the two girls uh was almost like a, a little house in the prairie feeling. And uh mm-hmm. and, and and with the right sees the value the way we do, it, it might work. It might someone might come along and say, Yes, I love it. I want to make episodes and I and I want to use the first one as the pilot. Actually a lot of times by the way, a pilot it's really a pilot's a bad a bad explanation uh, 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 definition because really it would be it would really be a sizzle reel. Uh, uh-huh. If we cut it down into a pilot, a company might come along and go, "Well, I like it, and I love like the, I, I love the idea of it, but let's, let's start with the, the, uh, let's start the TV series uh, uh, with more background on the characters. You know, uh, if you're going to start a TV series and you plan to go for five or ten seasons, your initial pilot might have to have more background on those characters. So, so Shooting Star might just end up being really a sizzle reel. And that's okay too, and it's just a real sure. really just an example of what the show could be
0: well that's right. very cool and then and then in terms of the market for is, is the, the western channel i mean kind of when you say a domestic market and 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 d v d is there also you know do you make your you've got a number of westerns that you've done and are going to do do they do you Look at the uh, the television aspect of it or the channel aspect of westerns
2: if you if you if you If you looked at the selling of a Western as a big pie, right? We use a pie chart, I would say eighty percent of that pie, um, eight slices of that pie would be the dVD market okay. um, and then the other two slices would be divided up uh, or the other twenty percent would be divided up between whatever other sell sales, sales you can get. And that's how little the foreign market sales will be on a Western. Um, uh, and, and this is all I, I hope. I mean, my movie *White Earth's Revenge* that I made yeah. in 2011, um, Sony ended up releasing that, and I'm certain that 80% of those that money in sales came from DVD sales. Um, mm. And that movie plays on TV here and there, and it's it did some some cable sales and things, but Westerns sell best in the in the right now in the DVD market because generally. People who watch westerns are are generally older males who are not particularly computer savvy, but they have a DVD player. Or what happens is, <laughs> is uh, you know, for instance, for instance, Soldier's Heart, uh, which is going to be called The Soldier's Revenge on DVD, is coming out at Father's Day, which I thought was a brilliant move by my by my distributor, because I will bet of the uh, for for every hundred Soldiers Revenges that sell in the DVD market. I would say eight out of, uh, or out of, let's say of a hundred, let's say I would say 80 out of a hundred don't even come out of the packaging, you know, (laughs) they will be father's day gifts, you know, and uh, (laughs) they'll sit on someone's television, you know, and that's okay. That's okay. As long as it sells, but it's just the nature of DVD. You know, people buy DVDs as gifts. They buy it at a thought, they whatever, but the time it takes for someone to open a DVD and put it in the DVD player and, and watch it uh, mostly someone who's, who's uh uh older uh it's it's hard to get them to do that you know so the excitement and idea of watching a western is there but the act of actually buying the western or getting it as a gift and actually going through with putting it on the tv you know the you know how hard it is to change your tv over to dvd you know, you know you oh my god you know control <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta change t- the input you gotta change the HDMI <laughs> table you know you can't
0: do it without a 13 year old boy or girl you know? uh
2: right exactly uh, uh, you
0: know maybe a 7 year old uh go ahead
2: right. but just just westerns in general are generally more expensive uh because it's not the world we live in that's why female centered thrillers or romantic comedies are actually something that you can do for a price because you can make them in the world that we live in you you live in a house you have a car you maybe you could get uh 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 your friends to let you shoot at their store uh maybe you can I mean, something I love to do is I love to shoot on the streets of New York. If you watch my movies, mm. 12 Pups of Christmas, or another one I made called it's called Golden Christmas 3, but also Love for Christmas, you'll see me shooting on the streets of New York. It doesn't cost any money to shoot on the streets of New York. You don't even need a permit to shoot on the streets of New York. The permit office says as long as you're handheld or with a tripod um, and you're not putting equipment on the ground, you can shoot all you want in the streets of New York without a permit. In fact, That's one. you can even shoot in Central Park with just a email from the permit office saying they approved you shooting in central park. I shot a 12 page scene on a movie called cradle swapping that plays often on often on lifetime and uh, in central park. And all I had from the permit office was an email from them saying you're approved to shoot in the park and That's no, beautiful. no fees, you know? And so imagine, imagine what you could do with two actors and a camera on the streets of New York. You know, you, if you write your script, you know with and it doesn't have to be two actors and, and by the way I always tell people to don't write your script like one I have no money so I'm going to shoot one location you know no you have New York City you know I've shot on the subway <laughs> on the Staten Island ferry on the Empire State Building on you know you can you can shoot all over and and it's legal uh and, and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it and in fact all it does is promote New York City as a place to go so they should be appreciative of that you know well what LA what you fortunately right go ahead
0: no, I was going to say what you just did is turned all of New York into one location. It's beautiful.
2: <laughs> yes, and and then you're what just, you do, you just, you're
0: just making a cart move, not a not, not a you know not a. Uh, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: Well, it's, shooting in New York is really cool. Like, let's say you have, that's awesome. You have a lot to go with, with two actors and just so if you if if you if you're if your fans if your audience watches Golden Christmas three, the last ten minutes of this movie, this is a four hundred thousand dollar movie. The last ten minutes is shot solely by me. With no crew, not even a sound mixer, and my two actors. Okay? And we just went in taxis from place to place to place to place all around New York for a day and a half. And it's the entire last ten minutes of the movie. And it's shot entirely on a Canon T two I digital SLR camera, which is uh which is now like eight, nine years old. And and it's just high def. It's not four K because it was it was older. And um and no crew, just me. In fact, my my leading actress Chantelle Van Sand, who was in TV series One Tree Hill, she called me a couple days earlier and said, "Mike, you're gonna have a makeup artist in New York." And I said, "Yeah, that's the one crew member I'm gonna have. To take care of you." She said, "Forget it, I'll do my own makeup." And wow! Uh, uh, and then and then we're in the hotel, and my other actor, Rob Mays, who's a good friend of mine, who's been in a bunch of my movies, and he's 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 the star of Soldiers Heart. He mm-hmm. um, he walks in the hotel room with his own little makeup tray, and Chantelle's like what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm doing my makeup. There's no makeup artist. And I, I, I I gave him five. I'm like, Rob, you're with the program. You know, remember we talked about FCWTP, flexible Mm -hmm. conversation with the program. So, uh, um, so, you know, so, so you can take, I mean, it excites me so much. I would so much rather if I can get paid the same money to make movies that I get paid, but the, my, my producer says, I'm going to pay you the same money, but you have no money to make the movie with. I'm fine. Listen, give me a, give me a digital SLR. I'll take my black magic or even my iPhone and I'll take my actors and I'll write a script for New York and I'll shoot all over the city and it looks spectacular. And then what you do, I'll give you away one of my, give away one of my, another one of my tricks is you buy stock footage on pond 5com or shutterstock.com and you buy aerial shots of New York. Right. You buy beautiful cause you can't, you can't fly drones around New York city because there's FAA rules and things, but you can buy the shots. So for 50, 75 bucks, you can open the movie up with a beautiful aerial shot of New York City, you know? If you need to show a uh, 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 um, day turning to night, you can buy a beautiful time-lapse that someone, someone spent days shooting of New York. You know, they went out and it was cloudy. They went out again. I mean, this person probably spent a week shooting this one time-lapse and you're going to buy it for 50 bucks. And then it just enhances your movie even more, you know? As long as you use proper film language, As long as you know, you know, it's, it's, we talked about this the other day, like whether you, if you go handheld or whether you go on tripod, you know, and and, taxi drivers, taxis love filmmakers in their taxis because they're, you know, sometimes I'll pay them to drive around for an hour while we shoot scenes. I mean, I've even had taxi drivers fake chase scenes in the car.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. I even had a
2: taxi driver driving across the, the Manhattan bridge while ducking as if gunshots were fired at him and uh And no, the guy loved cool. it, and then what I did with the with the camera is I put the camera on him, and I said, "You know, you know, do you approve uh of me using your likeness or whatever and I have them give their name and their number and everything, um or I have a release form in my pocket, and they sign a release form you know and now the taxi driver's in the movie, you know <laughs> so no, that's cool um so but again, it comes down to no matter how cheap you make a movie, you'll have to have a certain level of post production quality to make it pass." The QC checks so that a distributor will take it and buy it. So you still have to do that no matter what. Now, you could make a movie and, and, and just put it up on Vimeo or YouTube or some other, some other um, platform, and then you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. But it's harder to make money. It's harder to sell. Um, who's to say you could make something that, that, um, that becomes viral and people go crazy for you know, you could also take your two hour movie and cut it up in 10 minute segments and put up on YouTube and just develop. You build up like every week you put it up and then you get people excited by it. And then by the end of the, the, the you know, the segments, uh, um, you, you, you then have the entire movie in one sitting or then you sell it on DVD, you know. Uh, so there's all sorts of things you can do. But um, there's certain pitfalls, you know, that we talked about, you know, what genres awesome. to make being honest with your investor, whether you find an investor for a movie or whether you, you get a distributor to finance your movie or whether you finance yourself, making sure your post-production is good, how you sell it in the foreign markets domestically. Um, don't even think about theatrical these days. Uh, it's very, very difficult. Although you could pay for your own theatrical, you know, I know people who've done that before. They'll literally pay for a 25 theater theatrical and, um, there's a movie uh, uh, that's very interesting that that my friend Kevin Sizemore uh, is one of the stars of. It's called Mine Nine, and uh, it was made by a, a gentleman who um, um, his whole family were miners in West Virginia, and uh, it's a really really good film. They did a really good job. i I'm was really impressed by it, and um, they brought it out theatrically in very specific, strategically oriented theaters and made money. So for instance, he played it in West Virginia in his hometown. And of course it's sold out for like a week or two straight or whatever. I don't know the, the numbers or statistics, you know? So, you know, you could actually take your movie theatrically. If it's got like a hometown feel, if it's got something specific and very, and pinpoint and pick, and you could pay a film, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a theater to actually, you pay them to let your movie uh, sit there in the theater for a week and then split profits with them. Or let's say maybe they keep the profits for a week, but if it does well, they'll let you have it for a week for free. I mean, there's lots of things you can do. It takes a lot of work though. If you you add up how much work it takes you, you you might actually still be in the red, but yeah. Wow.
0: Wow. Very cool. Well, Michael, I'm going to, I'm going to take a break right now. Uh, I really uh, appreciate this and enjoying this, Um, but I'm going to take a short uh, break. like station identification break, and then we'll come right back. Okay. Sure. Sure. All, right. All right. Thank you. You're listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, and the official web address where there's over 500 hours of uh, these kinds of conversations with professional filmmakers sharing their expertise with you is at RexSykes.com. That's my name, it's R E X S I K E S dot com. And uh, you can go there. Um, this particular one, it will not be archived there. This is archived, This is on Blog Talk. So there's two places that you can listen and are on I, uh, Apple iTunes. You can find this, this uh, anywhere and everywhere. But um, for now, the archive site is RexSikes.com. And these are, are being made available on uh, blogtalkradio.com and iTunes, Apple iTunes. All right. Um, you're listening to my guest, Michael Pfeiffer um this is part two of uh discussions that we've had on making uh working as a director producer and, and getting your movies made and uh, i'm having a great time and i'm enjoying this um i also want to encourage you to to know that um my website is called idea it's a dash symbol or hyphen seminars dot com i d e a dash or the hyphen symbol seminars s e m i n e r s com. You can go there. I steer you at this moment to that site because that's an online learning site. Now, it's not about filmmaking, but it's about career and it is about being able to have the right attitude in order to succeed in whatever field you're in. But as a filmmaker, as an actor, director, producer, you're going to absolutely want to go there and check out the offerings because it is the kind of thing that we talk about when we discuss attitude and leadership and the ability to communicate. And with that, I'm going to return to my guest, Michael Pfeiffer. And uh, Michael, is there anything at this moment that you want to uh, steer people to let them know um, either what's coming up or a website or anything that uh, you want to share?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well definitely. June 16th is the release of uh, a soldier's revenge, which stars, uh, Rob May, Neil Bledsoe, Annalyn McCord, Jake Busey, James Russo, Jay Pickett, Peter Shireko, who's going to be on your show. Uh, Michael Absolutely. Wells from the Twilight movies, um, and Val Kilmer. And, um, it's a star studded affair. And, um, uh, I know I left some people out, but, uh, it's, a uh, it's an epic two hour and 20 minute, uh, Western. Wow. That, uh, I'm really proud of. And, um, it's being distributed uh, on DVD and VOD June 16th, so it's a good Father's Day present, just like we talked about. And um, and and uh, uh, that's what we're releasing for his Father's Day mainly. And also, uh, um, I think Top Gun Two comes out around that time, so hopefully Val Kilmer will get a little bit of extra. Oh yeah, notoriety. good. He's in. He's in. He's in. Uh, he's in Top Gun Two. Um, and then um, listen, if you just go on your. Um, you know, you can literally go on your iTunes and say movies directed by Michael Pfeiffer and 40 something of them show up or you can go on your uh, Direct TV and type in Michael Pfeiffer and um you can uh, you can watch my movies. Um I have a movie premiering uh March 20th which is just a couple days from now called My Daughter's Psycho Friend that's playing on uh, <laughs> LMN Lifetime Movie Network and uh, and right after that, my movie Psycho Nurse is playing. But, uh, you know, if you want – I mean, I, I suggest people watching my stuff to, to understand what we're talking about here. So my daughter's psycho friend was originally called The New Girl, and I wrote it and directed and produced it. But it's a, I think it's a really good example of a, 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 an independent movie made commercially to the sell them Lifetime Channel. Um, I also have some other movies if you if you Google my name or if you go on iTunes and say my name that um, are movies that I made in 10 days for $125,000, which are movies based on serial killers like uh, Ed Gein, The Butcher of Plainfield, Boston Strangler, The Untold Story, Drifter, Henry Lee Lucas, um, um, Bundy, um, uh, Chicago Massacre, Richard Speck, uh, A Dead Calling, another one I made, I made a Dracula movie. I made an 1895 period piece for 10000 bucks. I mean $100,000. Wow. Bucks. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's it's goofy. You know, it doesn't compare to, you know, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. But if you understand where I'm coming from and you want to make movies, uh, uh, you might thoroughly enjoy it, you know, um, because um, it's easy to make $200 million movies. That's not hard. You know, you've got a cruise. You've got hundreds and hundreds of people working for you. you got all the time in the world. I mean, it, it comes with its own difficulties, but it's not easy making movies in 10 days or in 13 days. It takes a certain level of expertise. But um, what's funny is the hardest thing to do in making movies is the only way you could really start making movies, you know? Um, But so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, you know, I'd love it if people bought uh, June 16th, bought a soldier's revenge and, um, and then just try to watch my movies. Another movie I like a lot that I'm really proud of. That's a different, a different type of film uh is called soda springs and uh that's a drama that we shot in idaho about 10 years ago and and that's uh you can find that on the internet and on itunes and things like that and that's a, a movie i'm really proud of because uh, i is think it's a jay? beautiful film a, that's jay pickett starring in that jay, pickett, jay and i yeah. co-wrote it and we co-produced it and uh we shot part of it in jay's hometown um we talked about this uh, the other day about you know, shooting outside of Los Angeles and, uh, right. we shot in Idaho and just the greatest people in Idaho. We shot in, um, Emmett, Idaho and Crawford, Idaho. We shot in a little teeny town called sweet, which isn't even really a town. It's just like a, it's a road that you, you, you literally pass through sweet in three minutes and you pass about 10 houses and there you go. But, um, <laughs> we found a really, really wonderful woman with this beautiful green farmhouse and, uh, and shot there. Um, Shot at a car dealership. I mean, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great experience. I, 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 and that's something I, you know, talking about making independent films is
0: if you live
2: in a in a small town somewhere. If you live anywhere outside of L.A., to tell you the truth, people will sincerely appreciate you coming there, and they'll they'll open their doors for you. You know, LA's tough because they've been tainted um, oh, by gosh. the movie business. Uh, Atlanta's getting a bit like that. New York's like that. But if you go to a small town where people really are excited about movies the way we are um wow you can get you can get a lot of production value out of it a lot and it's 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 so much more enjoyable for me to shoot i mean i just got done shooting a movie in hawaii and even in hawaii um it was it was amazing it was amazing people are just happy to have you there and uh, and uh appreciative and uh and then you're shooting in hawaii
0: <laughs> well, I know we got to get you in Wisconsin. You and I were talking about Kenosha and stuff the other time. I mean, off off, right. off the air, but the, in Wisconsin, um, I, I as a I just want to. This is an aside. It's not relevant to anything other than there was a TV series called Picket Fences, which yeah, was supposed to take place in Rome, Wisconsin. In the first year of the series, there were mountains in the background because it's obviously shot, you know, in in Los Angeles, and and the second you know, subsequent year or subsequent years, there were no mountains. They realized that there aren't mountains in Wisconsin, but Rome, Wisconsin, the real Rome, Wisconsin is an intersection. Right. There's nothing there. It literally is an intersection somewhere between like Madison and La Crosse, Wisconsin. And it's, I have family members who have property out there and there's just nothing. So they, they made Rome, Wisconsin into this romantic little you know, town where all this wonderful stuff happened, but it's nothing. Um, But to, you know, but.
2: um, Well, you know, my movie, my movie, Ed Gein, The Butcher of Plainfield takes place in Plainfield, Wisconsin. And uh, and uh, Plainfield, Wisconsin. Right. And um, I I get so much crap on like people. So so what happens is, you know, people write reviews or they uh, they make their comments on on wherever on the Internet and. They ripped me for one for the fact that there's hills and there's no hills there, you know, because we shot <laughs> it. Right, a- right. You know, something. Right. I'm sorry, but 99 percent of the audience really doesn't care whether there's hills or not. But if I went on a bigger budget we- and match it, no. they also give me crap about Kane Hodder being the star of it because Kane Hodder looks nothing like Ed Gein. Kane Hodder was huge, right. but you know what happened was my executive producer says, "I want to make a serial killer movie about Ed Gein and I want Kane Hodder to star in it." So I'm not going to go. No, he doesn't match. I'm going to go get Kane Hodder. And we're going to do the best job we did. And Kane Hodder, I don't know if you know who Kane Hodder is, but Kane Hodder is Jason yes. from the movies. And he's a great guy. And and uh, I'm actually in his autobiography as the first person to give him real acting and real acting role, which is Ed Gein. And, um,
1: oh, how cool. And I'm in,
2: his, I'm, I'm in his movie, too. There's a documentary made on him recently. Um, and Kane's a great guy. but So they give us crap about that. And then the third thing is, you know, People will comment on a hundred thousand dollar movie and compare it to a hundred million dollar movie, you know. Of course, this movie's not as good as so and so. Like, well, that's what we talked about. You have the ability to make a movie and try to compete with bigger budget movies, and sometimes you pull it off, sometimes you don't. I mean, a 10 day horror film like Ed Dean uh, is not going to compete with a 50 million dollar uh, studio release, but it might be more enjoyable. You know, I I, uh, I think it's a fun movie to watch and you might just get just as much entertainment value out of it as the $50 million movie. So,
0: oh, no, without a doubt. Absolutely. And, you know, I think everything has a market. It's an it's an amazing thing. Uh, another aside that is completely irrelevant is that, you know, I have dubbed Wisconsin uh, because this is one of my other homes is Wisconsin and Los Angeles. But uh, as the horror capital of the world because of Ed Gein and because of Jeffrey Dahmer and because uh, Block wrote Psycho in Wyoiga, Wisconsin, which was based on Ed Gein. So what the world doesn't realize is that Wisconsin, plus we have a long-standing history of cannibalism. So,
2: you know, <laughs> so maybe I should we have beer cheese Wisconsin. and
0: cannibalism in Wisconsin. That's, a, that's what makes us popular.
2: <laughs> well, you know, what else do you do in the cold in the wintertime? Well, there's
0: not much, but Ed found something to do, and uh, <laughs> and you That's captured right. it. I feel now. Uh, no, I should say this: another one of my guests coming up is a is a friend of mine, and his name is Dan Davies, and he made the movie Ed Gein the Musical. Oh, and Ed
2: Gein! I've never seen that one. Okay. And
0: uh, that- yeah, and and, <laughs> and he also made a western called West of Thunder, but uh, right. But, but Ed Game the Musical is, you know, we had met around the time, you know, as his first, as a first guest, I said, that, I'm intrigued, I have to see it, and he sent me the screener, and I was like, I fell in love immediately, you know, so, it is bizarre.
1: Oh, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, well,
2: listen, it's a My niche, tough. you know, and, and, you know, if you make the movie for the right budget, and you get enough people in that niche buying the movie, you can make money. You know, but uh, don't promise. You know, I I don't think I don't think your friend promised his investor that he'd make money on Ed Gein the musical. You know, Uh, hopefully I don't think he
0: had investors. To be honest, I think it was self financed. (laughs) Uh, I I think I think you made uh, uh, some really important. I mean, I know you made some really important points, but one of the things that I have told film students in the past, and um, and I try to be careful with this because. We can all make movies for free, and those movies can be sold, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. What I encourage people to do is to try and make a movie for some money, for a budget, or to use the Screen Actors Guild talent if they can afford to, because I think of Hollywood as a, a meritocracy. I mean, if you make a movie for nothing, it, it, it can be a great calling card. But I think people really want to know it's it's like your reputation precedes you. Can you handle money i mean most most industry is you know people don't make movies for no money. they make movies with money, and they have to people like yourself you know you go bring it in under budget on time, shoot in ten days. It doesn't matter whether you shoot in ten days three days or thirty days or ninety days you know if if you can still bring it in on time and 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 that's right manage manage the money appropriately. And I think I think that more people are interested in can you manage the money I give you, than oh you made a movie for no money okay great now what? Well, you it, know,
2: first of all, regarding SAG, SAG has um, a low budget agreement that's right. very inexpensive for SAG actors. Uh, it's a hundred something dollars a day, but it's very important for filmmakers to recognize those are I think eight hour days, not ten. So after right. eight, the actors they go into time and a half. Um, they have to recognize that they have to pay state and federal taxes on top of that. So in California, it's an extra about 22%, which includes workers' comp and payroll fees, and then another 19% of uh, pension and health. So you have to remember, if you're making a movie, you have to know your numbers and, 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 and know how all that breaks down. But you'll definitely get a better class of actor getting a SAG actor, without a doubt, and making a SAG movie, 100%, uh, because good actors, that's what they endeavor to do, is, is become SAG. Um, also um uh where you want to spend your money ultimately i think is actually what we talked about is the post-production so you can right. make sure that your movie gets through post and gets the proper uh qc because you can shoot we talked about on any camera virtually and you could shoot in your parent's house and your friend's house and on the streets and whatever and and uh you you can you can film without lights or led lights are amazing these days you can run around with a one by one panel and and light literally half your movie there's so much you can do but at the end of the day if you want to sell your movie and not just put it up on some platform but actually sell it and have it distributed qc which requires generally a sound mixer who knows what they're doing and uh a, a post house that's going to do the color correction and the mastering and uh CCSL, which is closed captioning and, uh, and uh, you have to have a, a dialogue list. I mean, there's certain specific things. Uh, there's certain ways you have to be able to deliver a domestic version and a foreign version of your movie. So those are things that the post house takes care of. So um, you know, if you're going to spend money uh, it might be spending on your actors and spending on your post production and then try to get everything done as cheap as you can on set. It's kind of a funny thing. You might also, you know, I'd say you might be spending the most money on just food to feed your crew. You know, um, I, um, it's a funny thing these days too, with crew, um, you know, by law actually, you're not allowed to work for free. And, um, it's a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing because there's lots of people who would love to work for free. And, uh, for me, since I have a production company, I can't hire people free. I can't even hire interns unless they come from an accredited school program where they get school credit. Um, um, So but people, individuals making their first movies, they can ask their friends to work for free and um, and their friends can get great credit off of that. And then they get, you know, they build up their career. So but by the way, you said something about film students. I want to make sure the stuff that I talk about, about making independent film, uh, it's not just film students like, you know, there's no reason why someone in their 50s or 60s can't make their first movie Uh, or you know, maybe they've been acting for years and and they've made movies, but they want to finally produce one. You know, so it's not just something for twenty year olds, but it's something actually. Uh, um, in fact, I I meet a lot of people in their in their forties and fifties and maybe sixties who uh, who who want to make a movie and and go for it for the first time. So, um, um, also another thing about making movies too is um, it's it's a marathon. Um, you know, we see athletes. You know, they get out of college, they go pro, and they and they play baseball or they play football or NBA or whatever for ten years, and then their career is over. For me, like I'm 51 years old, I feel like my career is just starting. You know, it's it's oh, that's it's so it's, cool. As long, as long as you can make a living making what you love, uh, give it time, keep working at it, and and eventually you might hit the jackpot. But just the fact that you're on set making a movie and and making a living to me is hitting the jackpot. You know, uh, we that really is so true. It, today we get you know we see all these examples of you know uh 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 kylie jenner's worth a billion dollars you know what did she do you know well that's a that's an anomaly that's a very rare example but you know if she is happy maybe you're happier because you're making movies and they're low budget and i promise you i'm happier than kylie jenner ever will be with her billion dollars you know i know a billion can make me a lot happier but i'm happier than her (laughs) <laughs> I love
0: it. Well, you know, but you speak the truth. I mean, it, it. It. people often make inappropriate or erroneous comparisons, you know, they, you know, they, they, they want the billion dollars, but that may, that that may not make them happy at all. I, I really liked what you said, but again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time living life, making a movie, you know, when I'm on my, when I'm on set doing what I love and, and that I think, Gets people further, you know, um, I have a theory and this is off the beating track, but that nine out of 10 people really want to be productive. They don't, nobody wants to sit around and do nothing. They want to be productive. They want to have some kind of meaning, some kind of purpose. if that's film or making a pair of shoes, uh, you know, if it's selling, you know, real estate, whatever it might be, you know, people have a, a niche and I, and I loved what you said. Um, I, I mentioned film students, but, but the fact that there 's no age limit to to starting your career or or making your dreams happen, and that at any age you can do it. you know when I first started producing i i told you earlier, I said all I wanted to do was act as a young guy i didn 't want to be in production, and there was a point in which you know i started I, I worked production but always very begrudgingly and one of the guys on one of the movies that I was in was Bill Paxton, and he was a studio. You know, he was a studio carpenter at the time, or he was a set carpenter at the time on, right. on a little low budget movie that we did like in 1981, I think came out in '84. You know, who would have known that Bill, you know, Bill Paxson was going to go on to being a big star, you know? And he was one of the nicest right. guys on the set. You know, he was just a really sweet, wonderful man. Um, but uh, when I first started to produce, I, I discovered how, and direct, and how much I loved it. And people said, What do you like about it? I go, Because for me now, Instead of just doing just showing up and and doing a part, I was responsible for with the rest of the people, I mean in a cooperative sense, for this whole thing coming together. And it 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 was a different you know, it was a different set of responsibilities, but it was thrilling to to be able to produce something and to and to you know to and to to be part of something larger than if i was just if I, you know if i was just showing up on the set for a day or something sure. so it, it, sure. it's and truly truly anybody who wants to go make a movie i think should
2: right because they know, can often, you know, part part of but you don't have to actually be on set too you know like you could start so for instance we said well how do i make a movie well you need a script well you know there's so many scripts out there you don't have to be a writer you can you can you can, you can right. put it on facebook And say to your friends, hey, guys, I'm looking for horror film scripts. You can go to a website called Ink Tip, and you can read scripts all day long and buy scripts from people or make deals with them where you can option a script for, you know, a dollar for a year. And if you get it made, you pay them, you know. So in between being on set, you could be reading scripts. You could be creating ideas. You could be having meetings with people. In the meantime, you could be producing other things that that show that you're you're developing your skills. You know, you could take your phone and your friends, and actually, what's really important with, with directing is the language of film. Understanding what, what, how to shoot an over-the-shoulder shot, uh, how to shoot an over-the-shoulder medium or an over-the-shoulder close-up, how to shoot a close-up, how to shoot a wide, how to move the camera. You can be doing that at home all you want. But
1: mm-hmm. and
2: and also, conversely, you could be studying and researching distribution. You know, you could be making lists of the Netflixes of the world and all of these. Uh, um, you know. Um, Um, these websites out there that have movies on them and understand like in the foreign markets, like one of the biggest buyers of films in the foreign markets is is something called TF1. 99% of people in America don't know what TF1 is, but TF1 is one of the major French cable, uh, French television networks. And uh, they buy something like 200 lifestyle lifetime style movies a year. So, You know, it's important to understand So there's no reason why you can't be researching and also researching the film markets. Understand, make a calendar, know when AFM is, know when Berlin is, know when um, Cannes is, know when MIP and MIP TV and NAPI are, so that, you know, when you have a product or you can even go to those markets and pay, you know, I think AFM, I think you pay $300 for the day and you can wander around the market all you want. And that might be the best $300 you ever spent because you're just walking and you're talking and you're learning uh, uh, from people. You might find a lot of the distributors don't really want to talk to you because, you know, they're trying to sell. But you'll find a good percentage of them that you catch them in the halls or catch them when nobody's in there, and they'll talk to you. And and you'll learn so much about distribution. It's ridiculous just in one day, you know. So – there's lots of things you can do. You can also start, you know, understanding post-production and, 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 and start building a post-production team. Um, there's lots of things you can do in between being on set. I mean, right now I have, I have two movies in post. I have a movie I'm prepping. Uh, I just finished shooting a movie. So, so even when I'm not on set, I'm busy making movies. And I'm also meeting with people to figure out what my next movies are and networking. Uh, and then I watch movies. You know, that's another thing too, which is really cool about what we do for a living, you know, is we can watch movies and do our research and see what works and, and, and understand, you know, why did Scorsese move the camera like that? Or why did Spielberg do uh, do that push in that way or something, you know? So there's so much that people could be doing to just delve into it and be productive so that when that time comes, when they get the money or they commit to just doing it for no money, whatever it might be, they're uh, they're ready to go, at least as good as they can be. And listening to us
0: talk, of course. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, you know, it, it, what, what comes across is your enthusiasm and your passion and your knowledge and your experience and expertise, you know, in, in having, you know, uh, grabbed hold of this industry and, and, and made it, you know, your business to, to, to make movies and to enjoy what you're doing and, and to fulfill your dream in that sense. I You know, I think. Well,
2: remember too. Remember too. I'm not. I'm, I haven't fulfilled my dream yet. I mean, I don't want to be making low budget movies. You know what I mean. I, I would rather be making hundred million dollar science fiction movies. But you know, it, 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 this niche I'm in is 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 very good. I I make a good living, taking care of my family. I'm on sets all the time, and I'm not making one movie every five years. But what is my? I still have a dream. My dream is I still want a studio to recognize me and uh, and hire me to make a hundred million dollar movie. You know. Um, so I still have my dreams and, and too. And I'm, I'm working towards those still, even at, you know, I, I feel at 51, I feel like I, I don't even, you know, for any of your viewers who are younger, uh, you know, and Rex and, you know, I'm sure you could vouch that we don't, you don't see when you're 50 or you're in sixties, you don't really see yourself as that. You still see yourself as a 25 year old kid. Oh you know? God.
0: Uh, I don't feel much different than 12, frankly, but, but uh, <laughs>
2: right. Right. So, no, so I still, don't. you know, right. I mean trapped I, in cool that sixth movie. grade Dude, body
0: huh
2: Right I mean how many how many people like, when you watch the on the academy awards the the memoriam where you know people oh, passed God. away right. and and you see how many of them are old and there's pictures of them they're old and they're on set how many businesses do you see 80 year olds still working in the business you know? you know not many actually but the movie business you can you know You are you are so
0: right on that I have for for my entire life always went I will never retire. I mean, I can't imagine right. the day that I would ever want to stop doing what I'm doing. And for whatever reason, I mean, I, it, and and you look at the people who have longevity in their careers who are still making movies and they're 80 years old or 90, and you go, my God, it's because it's cool.
2: <laughs> it's a, it's cool. It's a it's it's not just a hobby. It's like a, it's a lifestyle. And what's cool, what's what's interesting too about this business is that. There's so many people who don't even realize that they're they, they go to movies so much, they talk about movies so much, they go to comic cons, they go to conventions. They're really close to being in the business. You know, that's all we are is we're just fabricating the stuff, but we're fans just like that too. You know. Oh. So many yeah. businesses where, where you 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 can also be a fanboy and be in the business. But you know, it's funny. I have um, you know, my wife and I have friends and. You know, let's say my wife has a good friend and, and that good friend has a husband and we'll go on a double date and the husband, uh, you know, uh, uh, does something completely out of the business. Like I literally like I have a hard time talking to that person because the person doesn't want to talk about movies. And if I go on a if we go on a double date with a with a couple and the, and the husband's in the business, the conversation just explodes because <laughs> we love it so much, you know. But it's funny. I've had I've had male friends that that I don't I don't really you know most, virtually all of my friends are in the business because that's what just drives me and just excites me and I'm passionate about and and uh, it's 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 probably the one thing too with my father and I that you know I've really special times with my father in the 90s when we worked together and we would go to the film markets together and I produced movies for him and it really brought us together back then in the 90s you know and and even to this day he's 87. And, you know, one thing I can really talk to my dad about is the movie business. Cause he, even at 87, he still, he still talks about it. He's still high on it, you know? And, um, you know, I can still bring up old stories from 20th century Fox or Trevor Burnett. His days or the early days of VHS, you know? Uh, and he'll, he'll go off on a whole tangent and talk about it even at 87 because it excites him. So, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's what we're talking about here though, is, is for, if, if you want to find money, if you want to invest it, if you want to, if you want to make movies, you want to put your life into it, you just engulf yourself in it. You find the passion and then know that there's really no barrier to making movies. There really isn't. You can do it for nothing or you can find the money or you can build up a production company and, and get enough track record behind you that people will hire you eventually to make things, you know, you can do it. People can do it. Uh, um, You know, it it just takes, uh, it just takes having the passion for it, you know? If you don't have the passion for it, you're not putting yourself all in, you might not, it might not be right for you, you
0: know. Well, that's, that's, that's also an excellent point. Yeah, it, uh, but I want to, I want to deliver a quote to you because I think you truly, you know, a uh, body, you probably know it and and appreciate it. But Earl Nightingale said, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal or ideal. And sure. as long as you're working toward that goal or ideal, you are a success. And, and right. to always have a big dream and always to move forward and, and to, you know, but but it is the day-to-day doing
2: that gets us to that, to that other, to right. well, the, the other side. I like that pro- progressive, you know, you're progressing through life and you're continually doing. I mean, that's something really cool about making movies, too, is that it's very goal-oriented. You know, I have a Western coming up. And it's in the future and I'm going to shoot it and pretty soon it'll be in my past and I'll move on to the next one. You know, we're not working in a cubicle all day long and, and selling widgets, which is very commendable and people might love that. But you, if you get that little taste of making a movie and, and, and climbing that mountain and getting on the other side of that mountain, it's very addictive, you know, and uh, you want to make the next one, the next one. So you, it's progressive, like you said, you know, and you progress on and on and, and you don't always have to move up. You can move laterally. I mean, in my career, absolutely. my career has been a very lateral, it's been a very lateral career. It hasn't been a move up career. But the more movies I make, the more I move up in one way, you know, economically, and even though my movies are lateral, you know, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, no, absolutely. Again, as Jeez. long as you're living the dream, you know, making product, making movies, you know. But you have to, it's so important, Rex, for people to see, that it's still a business. You still got to look at the entire business. People got to make money off of their money, you know? And um, you have to pick your genres carefully, and you got to pick your actors carefully. And, um, you know, your girlfriend might be an actress, but she might suck, so don't put her in the movie (laughs) in a leading role, you know? (laughs) You're just going to throw away the money, you know? So you got to pick carefully. You have to have pace. We talked about the other day about, about color and composition. What's that, Rick?
0: No, I, I have a, a friend who who produces his own movies and he puts himself in them. But and and one of the things he said to me a number of years ago, he goes, "I always put myself third or fourth lead."
2: Right. And I
0: said, "Why do you, I said why do you do that?" He goes, "Because I don't carry a movie. No, I can't open a movie. Nobody's going to come to see it because of me." But I'm now right. with the name talent, and I'm in scenes with the name talent, so I get you know, the, the cred from being in movies and acting with these people, even if I produce them. And I was like, that is so smart.
2: And it's it's
0: not, and it's, but it's, and it's not ego driven. He knows his place. He's not like, I have to be the star. My girlfriend has to star and that's you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's well thought out.
2: Well, I think that, I think that honesty is important in this business too and making movies like we talked about the other day about, um, it's not my job telling an actor how to act. It's my job telling them where to go. I'm not going to be able to tell one of my great actors. To, I can tell them I can act better than them and let me show you how it, it's done. <laughs> or I let my costume designers do their, their thing. I'm not, I, you know, I'll look and make sure that I, I like what I'm seeing, but I'm going to trust my costume designer, you know. Uh, I'm going great. to trust my cinematographer with their lighting. And if I, if, you know, I might, I'm, there's some things I might fix or change or adjust, whatever, but you have to trust people. You have to stay humble and you have to trust the people that you have there. Um, but, uh, like your friend, I think your friend's smart uh, and, 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 you know, to say I can't carry a movie is, is very, is very intelligent because, uh, you can, like I said, you know, you, you, you put yourself, I've seen that before too. People starring in their own movies and, uh, you know, the movie never sees the light of day and, uh, right. people lost their money and, and then that, and then that, that, guy never made another movie. You know, I, I, I know a guy who, who got a billionaire to give him money for a movie, and he made a terrible movie and the billionaire got out of the business. By the way, the billionaire told me he wants to make a second movie with me, which huh. I'm very excited about. Uh, but the movie was so bad that he was involved in that he just got out of the business and never made a, a movie yeah. again. So we lost the billionaire, you know, like
1: wow. every
2: time the movie it's it's like uh, it's like, you know, every time the business loses a billionaire. How many movies did you just lose? You know, how many people lost money? You know, when Oh wow when you get a billionaire who wants to make movies, you know, I mean. Uh, um, um, what is it? Uh, Megan Ellison, you know her father's Larry Ellison, and she's uh, Annapurna Pictures. She's made some spectacular films that are not very marketable at all, uh, and the, the concepts weren't very marketable. But but the fact that she has so much money behind her allows her to make these movies and make people's, you know, be, be able to create these films that are really incredible. But it, it wouldn't happen without having the financing of a billionaire behind her. You know, um, and uh uh, what was it? Uh, uh, the movie with uh, Sandra Bullock was financed by uh, Fred Smith, the creator of uh, FedEx. I think it was the blind side. I think it was the blind side, you know? Um, so, you know, money is a good thing when it comes to this business. And when you make a crappy movie the first time around and the money disappears, it's uh we should have a funeral every time. Well, you know, that, that <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. I just want to say we got about eight minutes left in, in terms of, in terms of our talk time this time, I'd love to have you back again and we can talk more at other times. Sure. But yeah, no, I'm, I I look forward to it. I, I, I thrive (laughs) on this. This is fantastic. Um, And you're fantastic. So I appreciate it. Uh, You know, they say the same thing, you know, in a different way, like, you know, treat your locations with care, leave them, you know, better off than when you show up, don't do the, you know, come in and duct tape the, take the tape, paint off the walls and leave trash in the place and, or leave the refrigerators unplugged, as you pointed out, you know, because right. you you burn a bridge, you know, you you took somebody who was thrilled to have a movie company come in and then they're not so happy anymore, you know, or you get a billionaire who says, you know, okay, I'm done. I'm, you know, I, I'm not interested. Uh, right. I think, right. I think paying it forward, you know, knowing your place and, and being well, able to are, have.
2: Yeah, I agree. Go ahead. I agree. I just say locations are a great example of paying it forward because, you know, you find a great house and then you treat it terribly. That homeowner doesn't want to rent their house again. And uh, mostly in L.A., you know, good houses at good prices are really hard to find. And homeowners who are happy to have a production there who've had good experiences are hard to find because people destroy that. Or cities, you know, when a city wants to just make permits really difficult, um, uh, it really makes it difficult for everybody else. And that's because, you know... Other people before them, uh, you know, didn't respect the rules, and um, you know. So we talked about laying a good track record, you know, being yeah. a good moral, ethic person, ethical person, um, uh, being a good person, enjoying the process. You know, uh, um, uh, I love to give crew opportunities. I love to give actors opportunities. Uh, I really thrive on that. I like to. I like to give crew chances to do things uh, that they've never done before um and they think they can and 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 really champion them through it um you know my costume designer on my last film Molly Saito she's never costume designed a feature and she probably got the best compliments and accolades from actors I've ever had from a movie I mean when my wife by the way my my wife my wife's an actress and uh and when my wife (laughs) likes the wardrobe so much then you know she's done a good job and um (laughs) exciting to watch watch it happen or uh my cinematographer jordy uh jordy ruiz mosso uh jordy has shot 16 17 movies for me but before me he had never shot a feature before he worked for me as an assistant cameraman and i liked jordy and i thought he was a good guy and i thought he was very uh um, um competent and uh so i i gave him a shot at, at dping a movie for me and that was only three and a half four years ago and he's now DPing 17 movies for me
0: that's wow. and he is a good guy i like jordy
2: and i He's a great guy, and I couldn't get him on my last bill because now he's a working DP, and he's, making, and, he's and he's busy, you know. Um, but it, it <laughs> gives me joy to know that I gave, that I gave Jordy uh, an opportunity, and, and he's thriving. And I have lots and lots of stories like that through the years, a lot of them, uh, people who started their careers with me. Um, and that's because I gave them a chance, and I'm not, I don't stress, and I don't yell at anybody, and there's always an answer, and there's always a solution, and we figure it out. So, you know, and I think it's really important, mostly actors, by the way, to get to, you know, your side of the world, Rex, which I know you care about a lot, is that it's really hard to find gigs as an actor. It's really, an actor's job is auditions. And an actor can go from audition to audition to audition and never get anything. So if you have a friend who's an actor, and they're good, and they're right for the part, and they're competent, give them the part before somebody you don't know. Because you should help your friends, especially, you know, your friends who are actors, you should help them. It's very, very difficult to get parts. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I really try to do that. I really try to help my friends. And I always, when I'm casting a movie, I look at my friends first and who I know to go in that movie, just like Peter does, you know, uh, uh sure. on, on shooting star and on uh soldier's heart. I said to Peter Shraiko, I'm like, Peter, you're producing this with me. I want you, I want your friends that you've worked with to be in the movie first, you know? So Peter, Peter had like 10 roles to fill and he filled it all with friends and gave them opportunities. And I think that's the way people should be. And take care of each other, just like during this coronavirus. Don't hoard the toilet paper, you know. <laughs> <laughs> my wife almost got my wife almost got knocked down in the market the other day because uh, you know they opened the market at 8 a.m. We were lined up, and sh- and I went to go to the the section to get Zicam and cold ease because for you people out there, z- zinc is really good for viruses to fight out viruses. And she went to get toilet paper because we were low on toilet paper. And, uh, and she literally almost got pushed over. I mean, so let's treat each other well, mostly in the movie business, you know. Uh, it, 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 there's no reason to stress. There's always a solution. You know, if you don't get a day done, you can always pick it up another day, or you can find solutions on how to finish that day. You know, don't yell at anybody. Don't become a diva and, um, you know, and, and respect each other, and then the good things will come to you.
0: Uh, well, that is, that is uh, amazing. And, and your set, and by the way, Peter gave me the role. That's how I uh, got to work with That's you. Funny. And I'm very, very appreciative to Peter and to you for that opportunity. And um, and I just want to say that, that, as I've said before, your your set is a very safe haven. It's a great place to be. And it was a fun experience. And and, and it's beautiful work. You know, it was beautiful working right. with you which is, and with which Peter. Is
2: important. For me to be as creative as a director, for you to be creative as an actor, you want to feel that it's a safe space. You want to feel that there's a low, no stress, so you can be creative. It's 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 imperative, you know. Um, and then it, and it makes Peter and I feel good that we were able to, you know. I know Peter feels good that he was, he had you and Mike Gaglio and Tony Herbert all in the scene together, yeah, and, and, yeah. And his his his, uh, his uh, uh, buckaroos, and uh, you know, I know, you know, Peter can be uh, a bit ornery. And uh, you'll all find out when, uh, with your interview with Peter, but, but Peter at heart is a really good man and cares about people. And, um, and uh, he likes it. Uh, you know, when people are good to him, he likes to be good back to him. And, uh, and, that, and, 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 and Peter has a very a, 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 a happy life. And, um, and I think a lot of that comes from just having the comfort of knowing that, uh, that he's, he's trying to be, he's trying to be a good person, you know?
0: No, he so, a, and he is a good person. I've known him for many years, and I really appreciate him. and And he 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 said, "Hey, I think I get this part for you," you know. And I said, "Awesome, that's fantastic." He said, "I told you I'd hire you. I told you I was going to get you, you know." To, you know, and and he delivered. it. Yeah. And then when I when I saw the part, I was like, "Oh wow, that's really cool." You know, I mean, yeah, I, yeah.
2: I I you yeah, know, it could have been. It wasn't just
0: one line. No, 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 it was a great part. I thought, you know, and so.
2: Yeah.
0: um and by the way, I, I I let my sister take a peek at the uh, the scene, and she loved it. She was like, "Oh my God, that's really that's really awesome." And she loved the black and white. She went, "Oh my God, it's so cool in black and white." So
2: yeah, the black gonna be awesome. I think the black and white is what's gonna. Uh you know, people said to me, uh, are you crazy to distribute a film in black and white? And I think that that's actually going to be the thing that makes it different, that makes it something that people yes. want to see. Everybody's seen Westerns in color, and I can't compete with the studio films in color, right? I can't right. compete with Denzel Washington and Magnificent Seven, but they don't have the balls to make their movie in black and white, and I do. And and <laughs> I think the movie looks better in black and white. So, And I think that that's going to be – because. We're talking about distribution and sales, you need an angle. You know, you need we talked about the Western genre doesn't sell very well. Well maybe if I make it in black and white and make it feel like an old fifties Western, that's gonna get word of mouth going and get excitement going. And um the foreign buyers aren't gonna buy it anyway, so what do I care about them, right? No, that, right. <laughs> but maybe hey, they will.
0: maybe they will. They and maybe they will have, the, a, So we right? got about thirty, 30 seconds. I wanna give you thirty seconds to, to talk about Soldier's Revenge or anything you want to talk about and I so much I've appreciated this. I'm going to call you after we're off the air just to, you know, to to brief, but uh...
2: yeah, well, well again, June 16th, soldiers revenge. And some of my favorite actors I've ever worked with are in it. And uh, I mean, Rob Mays and Neil Bledsoe put on great performance. Annalyn McCord, who some of you might know her from Dallas and 90210 is, just one of the most beautiful women you've ever seen in your life. And she's a ball of fire. And, uh, of course, Peter Shireko is in the film and, Oh, Michael Bowen. I forgot. Michael Bowen is buck from kill bill. He was in Magnolia walking tall. He's been in five of my movies. He's a great guy. Oh, Michael wow. Wells cool. from twilight, James Russo from Beverly Hills cop, you know, and extremities with Sarah and open range with Robert Duvall is in it. And Val Kilmer is in the movie, you know, uh, um, and, and our friend Jay Pickett, um, so I, I, cool. I, I think that people, if they pick up that film June 16th, they're really going to enjoy. People are like, well, how come it's so long? Why don't you make it shorter? Because when people buy a Western and want to watch a Western, they want to live in that world. So why interrupt it? Let's live in that Western world and not let it end. And, and I think that it, it, I think it holds your attention for two hours and 20 minutes. Um, we um, prepared the Hollywood Film Festival, and, and, uh, and it went over quite well. So, uh, fantastic. Yeah, pick it up June 16th.
0: Yeah. Awesome. You've All been right. listening to, to Michael Pfeiffer, my guest, Michael Pfeiffer. This is part two. We'll be back. We'll do another session with Michael because it's so cool. It's such a learning. such a wonderful experience. I got to go. I got only a couple seconds left. It's Rex Sykes, Rex, Rex Movie Beat. dot com is the archive site. Listen on Blog Talk Radio or, or Apple iTunes and share this with your friends, your colleagues, and your family, and have a great day over and out.